This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast. It's yours, of course, Saints fans and Pelicans fans, and I'm Sean Kelly. Greetings from Los Angeles, California, where the Pelicans have arrived to continue their current road trip and also hopefully their win streak, too, when they get set to take on the Los Angeles Clippers tomorrow night. As we come to you today from the team hotel, the Pelicans have won eight straight. That made it eight last night in Dallas when the Pelicans... I wouldn't say one wire to wire, but pretty darn near close. And after Dallas pulled within four uh, in the early fourth quarter, uh, New Orleans put their foot down and uh, gassed the Mavericks and went on to win handily uh, just for the fifth time ever in franchise history at Dallas. They sweep the two road games at Dallas with a win last night. And all is well for a team now that is 10 games over 500 for the first time since the end of the 2010-11 season and with that the pelicans move up to fourth in the western conference standings although that could change today and will probably change daily as we continue with 20 games to go anthony davis and drew holiday sensational again last night nico miritich made a start last night kind of got out of his shooting slump had six threes in the ball game and rajon rondo continues to shine as well during this win streak and the pelicans have got it rolling right now we're going to talk a lot of pelicans today with scott kushner who covers the pels for the advocate, he'll join in with his thoughts as to what he's seen over this this uh, current win streak and what lies ahead on the rest of this road trip. As we mentioned, Los Angeles, the Clippers tomorrow night, and then the Kings on Wednesday. Otherwise, later on this week, it's a big day or big weekend, I should say, in Baltimore for Saints linebacker and special teams guru Michael Maudie. He was named back in December the Ed Block Courage Award recipient for the New Orleans Saints, and he'll be honored along with all the other recipients in the NFL this weekend in Baltimore uh, for that award, which comes from the Ed Block Courage Award Foundation, which is dedicated to improving the lives of neglected children and ending the cycle of abuse. And in in raising awareness for their cause, they hand out these yearly awards to NFL players who has, have exhibited courage and resiliency in coming back from various situations. And certainly Michael is well-deserving of that. I'm uh, eager to catch up with him today and see, A, how he's doing this offseason and, B, uh, a little bit more about his story and what it meant to him to win the award and what this weekend will mean to him and, of course, his family, too. So we've got a good show for you today, two great conversations as we talk Pelicans and Saints after these messages. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager brewed with love and top quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. 
This Pelican season, the entire family can do it big with the Pierre's Party Pack presented by Cheetos Popcorn. Pelican ticket packages are available for select home games and include three or more tickets, combo meals, Cheetos Popcorn, and an on-court free throw experience with Pierre the Pelican, all for as low as $54. The next Pierre's Party Pack night is March 11th against the Utah Jazz. For more information and to plan your next big night out with the gang, visit pelicans.com today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Back in December, the Edward Block Courage Award recipients were announced, and they'll be honored this weekend in Baltimore. And for the New Orleans Saints, no one more deserving than our first guest today. It's linebacker Michael Maudy, who joins us uh, uh, during a break in his offseason training. Michael, first of all, I didn't really get to tell you this back in December, but congratulations. This is a big deal. Well, thank you very much. I, I really do agree with you. I think it is a, it's a big deal, and I take it seriously because it's a it is a special award that is something that uh, you know it's it's not like one of those football accolades. It's it's just something that it's more like a life accolade that means it's really special to me. So you've been a part of NFL locker rooms now, I think, for what five seasons. Tell me about this process yeah. as to how the team comes up with who's going to win that award every year. Well, it's kind of a, at least from what I gather, I think a lot of teams do it at different times throughout the year, but um, we sort of, I'm sure the process is pretty similar. Um, you kind of have a PowerPoint, you have a team meeting, a PowerPoint presentation, and you kind of have your, your coach or training staff will identify uh, a few candidates based on their past year and things that people have gone through, whether it's injury, surgeries, or um, you know, things in their life that have happened. Um, so that's kind of, uh, and then you just have a, have a, have a vote, you know, but one by one, each team member. So that's a, that's the process of it. Um, I kind of, uh, wasn't really, I wasn't really sure, you know, based on, I, I didn't ask anybody. It's not like you lobby for one of these awards. You just kind of, uh, the process of the, my last year. Um, you know, from what Coach Payton said, it was a pretty, um, you know, that's kind of the, the most landslide of a, of a result in the voting process that they've had, I think, since they've been doing it within, in, within that organization. But, um, but it was just a unique situation, I think, for me. So I'm, uh, it's a humbling award to be recognized for. That's for, that's for sure. Michael, for those who are listening who may not be all that familiar with your story, ulcerative colitis is what you, you had and I think you'll always have to the point where it, it, it made you leave your football career and have to drastically go through things to make sure this didn't affect the rest of your life in a negative way more so than it already has. Michael, was there a point during that time where you just didn't think that playing football again was even a possibility? Oh, there was a there was a few times, and there was more than, and it was for weeks at a time. I was saying, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if this is going to happen. You know, at the end of the day, it was just like this is ridiculous. Um, and there was a while there where I thought for sure I was just I mean I was preparing like I wasn't going to, um, just in case. You know, I had to have some sort of insurance policy here to, in case. You know, I didn't want to waste a year without at least prepping for life after, but. And in that sense, it could have been a little bit of a silver lining, but um, but there was really a time where where 
you know, it was, it was dark places there where you got this, you know, you had six months with the bag and you can't work out. And, um, you know, it's, it was just a, it was a, it was a very long play, uh, long journey that was. So, but, uh, just, you know, one day at a time we worked, our, worked my way out of it and, and then, uh, you know, got a great opportunity back in New Orleans. When you got cut at the end of training camp, Michael, was that one of the dark times or did you at that point have already come to a realization that you could do this for somebody? <laughs> that was actually more like a, that was more of like annoying for me because, um, at that point, like I had worked so hard mentally to, um, with, to get prepared for football again and, and physically. And then I finally got back, got on the field during training camp. And then you do all that work, you know, the last year just to get cut. <laughs> it was like, it was like, okay, now somebody's trying to, you know, that's like, that's almost, it's almost comical. Like somebody, you know, I didn't do all that work just to get cut. So I look, I made it that far. Like I was proud of myself. Yes. Just for getting back to where I was at, but that's not, you know, I needed closure on this deal. You know, I needed to be with a team because that's something that no one had ever done, and that's like what makes the story better and um, gives it closure. So that's really the only thing I I wanted. You know, not selfishly, just like that's what I was. You know, that's what I worked for, and so I knew that regardless of where you know where that would be, I'd I'd get an opportunity and and I'd work out. That's why you know I came to Pensacola to train, and and uh, regardless of when when or where that would be. I would be prepared for it because, you know, it's a short window of time here where I had this opportunity. So, um, you know, the best, the only thing I could control was be prepared when you get a phone call. And that's basically how I looked at it and didn't really worry about anything else. And um, that's kind of how it worked out. Michael, in that sense, then you, you almost had to have two comebacks in the same year, one to come back and participate in training camp. But then after the cut, it was almost two months before you rejoined the Saints. That's a long time. Yeah, it was. Uh, look, I, I had a. It was almost a blessing in, in disguise because, you know, I, I probably could have used another month to train and get my body right. But uh, I mean, I only had about eleven weeks or ten weeks to train, leading the training camp after a sur- after three. You know, after the after my surgery back in April. And, and, you know, I saw basically like a hole in my abdominal wall and I was, you know, I, my core was just shredded, um, you know, literally. And so I was rebuilding that and it was just, so there was things that just, just needed time, you know? And I, I think that's kind of the opportunity, the blessing that it, it gave me. And that's the way I looked at it, you know? And, and so I really felt like when I got back to New Orleans the, for the second time that I was in as good a shape as I've been in my whole career. And, uh, that, you know, my workout reflected that, and, and that's kind of the feedback I gotten from the coaches when I showed back up. Michael, does, does your condition in any way affect the way that you go about your job? Not at all. Not at all. Not anymore. It does not, which is, to me, uh, you know, if you would have told me that at the beginning of this process, you know, to have no residual issues and could play football with no regard, um, I would have, I would have kissed your feet. That's for sure. <laughs> we don't need to see that. Michael, no, we don't need to see le- that. Yeah, no, Michael, you were a leader at Mandeville High School. You were a leader at Penn State University, and, and now your story has inspired, I'm sure, many 
in different forms and fashion. This award, though, is going to increase that level of inspiration to folks, or at least, I guess, raise the awareness of your story. Um, are you okay with that? You know, I, at first, I was not um, comfortable with sharing, talking about my about ulcerative colitis. Now that you know, now that I don't have a colon, I could not, I can't ever get colitis again. Um, but I think that. I've had so many people reach out to me and tell me how much my story has helped them or motivated them and, and their, and their own fight against, uh, the IBD related diseases or, or any, any of their, uh, issues that I think I've been able to just put my pride aside and, and just talk about it and be open about it. And, and I think that that's something that has been very fulfilling at least to see how much it can inspire and motivate people. So that's why I do it. And I think that, yes, I'm absolutely okay with it being, having my story be, be uh, reaching more people, because I think that ultimately if it helps them, then that's a good thing. I'm not surprised by your answer at all. Michael Maudie is with us, Saints linebacker who will receive the Ed Block Courage Award this weekend in Baltimore. Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the weekend ahead for you. Tell me about what's going to happen for you all and your fellow recipients. Well, uh, I know there's a big weekend planned in Baltimore. My wife and I will be, will be joining. The, the, uh, I know there's a few events. Uh, we're going to go to the, the – the, there's an event, I think, on Friday the, with the children's house uh, for abused children. Um, and then we're going to, uh, on Saturday, I believe is the banquet. I, I have to, look, I got to review the itinerary again, but I will, uh, I'm excited to see, uh, some old friends and, and, and enjoy a great weekend with some great, great people who have uh, overcome a lot in their own personal journeys. So it'll be an exciting event to be a part of and really just an honor to be involved in that group. Will it be emotional? I know that's the way you play on the field. Are you that way off the field too? You know, I certainly can be. I know that it, it, this sort of thing has happened kind of in waves as I've, you know, I've digested, uh, you know, I've, I've tried, I've almost tried to compartmentalize my emotion um, because if I look back and I put myself where I was even one year ago where I was probably at the, the very darkest, the bottom of where I came from, um, it, you know, it's almost like, a self-defense mechanism, you know, I, like, I don't go back to those places cause I've, you know, I, I know what it's like. And, but, um, that's kind of, that's kind of the things I, the more I, uh, if I get back into a situation where maybe it'll just hit me, I don't know. That's, uh, emotionals. My emotion has, uh, is definitely, I wear it on my sleeve, my, my heart. So we'll see. <laughs> okay. Hey, one football question before you go, Michael. Um, and, and it may not be all that fair because obviously this time last year you were battling your own situation. Uh, but the football team in general, the organization was at a crossroads in a lot of ways. Uh, and it fueled a spirit with that football team that resulted in what I would consider a very successful campaign. Uh, in talking with your teammates now and, and just where you are, how is the mindset different now than maybe it was a year ago for the organization as a whole? I know you you personally had something different going as well. Are you talking about in New Orleans? Yes, with the Saints. Well, I think you have a, an organization that hasn't, you know, you have a, a span of maybe five, seven years where you haven't had that much 
success, at least in uh, since the time I've been there, and even maybe three or four years prior to that. And now you have a young recruiting class or a young draft class that's come in and made an, a real impact. And you got guys that start believing in in the success, and and everybody's on board. And that's a whole different working environment. And that's something that's been really fun to be a part of and to watch. And I mean, one of the best one of the best locker rooms I've been in. And that's, it truly is a reflection on the way, you know, the the team, the the record, the success that that the team has, and I think will continue to have, is a reflection on on what that locker room is like and what kind of guys there are in that locker room. The guys that care about each other and work hard and they compete, and um, and that's something that I think is going to help the, the Saints moving forward. Michael, I'm beginning to think that your plan B that you had in the back pocket last year was working on a career as a broadcast analyst because you just eloquently uh, stated that. <laughs> I think, well, public speaking is definitely something that's on the radar and, and motive, you know, some sort of an arena where I can help people and motivate people. And um, that's something that I just love doing. So the, the more people I guess I could reach, the better. I think that would be a perfect fit. Michael, again, congratulations. I appreciate your time today. We're looking forward to your big weekend. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. No problem. Saints linebacker Michael Motti, Ed Block Courage Award recipient, will be in Baltimore this weekend. And we'll continue on the Black and Blue Report in just a moment. What is big? Big is Drew Holiday. Red hot from the perimeter and ice at the foul line. Big as DeMarcus Cousins, a 6'11 defensive flamethrower that vaporizes man-on-man coverage. Big as Anthony Davis, a laser-guided missile of athleticism aimed at the rim. Come see the Pels against the Washington Wizards Friday, March 9th. First 5,000 fans get a free dance team poster. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. New Orleans Pelicans, do it big. Now, Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. What's up, Pelican fans? This is Anthony Mackie, a shorter, talented version of Anthony Davis, and you are listening to the Black and Blue Report. Go Pelicans. Let's turn our attention to the New Orleans Pelicans, red-hot winners of eight straight, and now ten games over 500. As promised at the start of our podcast today, Scott Kushner on the Pelicans beat for the Advocate joins us here on this Monday. Scott, first of all, good to talk to you, and uh, I'm curious as to what your taking away from what you're seeing with your own eyes right now regarding the Pelicans? It feels like 2015, doesn't it, Sean? Uh, Just the way they're playing to a degree, uh, certainly the results uh, and the timing that they're doing it in, uh, the push that they're making, uh, it all kind of feels like that familiar uh, push that we saw a few years ago where um, it just kind of all worked right at the brink of when everything looked like it was about to fall apart in early January, and then all of a sudden it's going great, and uh, and it's, it's really from the midway point of the season on, 
Uh, they've just turned into a team that has understood uh, the level at which Anthony Davis can play at, and they've used him to fuel everything else. And it's really been uh, it's been kind of incredible to watch just after three years of sort of walking through the wilderness, and all of a sudden uh, they seem to have found a system that makes sense to them and really uh, brings out their strengths. Like the good journalist you are, you did not bury the lead, and I'm proud of you. Anthony Davis, um, the best we've seen him in his career. Am I am I being am I underselling that at all? It's hard to say, you know, and, and I, I I'm I'm not trying to, to dodge it there because I think people forget how dominant he was in 2015, uh, and it was kind of out of as a surprise when he got that good that quickly. Uh, but he, if that team had won 50 games instead of 45, he's right there in the MVP conversation. Uh, he's probably, that was the second best season in franchise history behind Chris Paul's 2007-08. Uh, and he's doing that pretty similarly again this year. Uh, I think he's getting a little bit more help, to be perfectly honest, this time around from Drew Holiday, who has been uh, spectacular. I think Drew Holiday, if you do what Drew Holiday's done the last 30 games, if you put that at the beginning of the season, uh, he's an all-star. Uh, right now and that and certainly if he's in the east he's an all-star uh and that is a a very helpful level we've seen and i think also demarcus cousins going out has just improved the volume of his numbers uh he was playing really well before demarcus went out but if you take his usage rate and you essentially double it which is what he's doing uh the volume just skyrockets to a degree that is you know astronomical but he's been doing that really all season uh, and he's, he's excellent. I mean, he's a top five player in the NBA. You could argue he's even higher, and, uh, and it's been really amazing to, to see on a night-to-night basis. Scott, that leads me to kind of a tricky question because I know you've heard it, and it's being said here and there, that the Pelicans are a better team without DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I don't know if I buy into that. I don't know if I have seen enough or know enough to answer that question. What about you? Yeah, it's really hard to know what this team was with DeMarcus. Uh, I just, I know what <laughs> the, you can really take either side of it. And I know that people inside that building would tell you that winning those eight to nine games to end it, beating Boston, beating Houston, uh, that is who that team was with DeMarcus. And I don't necessarily know if that's the case because they had a lot of really ugly stretches and a lot of inconsistency, all those kinds of things. Um, what I will say is that their ceiling, I believe, is lower. I think this team might be able to rattle off a better regular season. They, I think they, they are more built for the regular season now than maybe when they were trying to figure out the AD DeMarcus, uh, you know, balance all the time. But their ceiling is undoubtedly lower. When you, when you look at that bench lineup, uh, particularly and you don't have a go-to guy or the go-to guy is Nico, who is playing well, but is not good enough to be you know, the ball can't go through him every possession. He can't get you a bucket when you're on, you know, on the wrong side of an 8-0 run, uh, which you had in DeMarcus. And I still think they are a better team when DeMarcus Cousins is there uh, than when he's not as far as their overall potential. As far as what they can bring on a night-to-night basis, the level of consistency they can get, the lack of turnovers, the um, just the system being able to run a little bit smoother, everyone kind of knowing their roles a little bit better. All that stuff is easier without him. Uh, but as far as what can they accomplish as far in the playoffs, uh, certainly DeMarcus would help them. Yeah, I really like that perspective, the ceiling. Um, that helps. That does. Scott Kushner is here with us from The Advocate. 
Scott, uh, let's say Solomon Hill comes back in the next one to two weeks, which I don't think is that far-fetched. Um, what is realistic with regard to his contribution in your eyes? I think you can see him play 15 to 20 minutes a night, uh, help out with some shooting in the corner, and defend, uh, especially against if someone gets hot. You can bring him in. Uh, he can still lock up a defender, and he can lock up somebody towards the end of the game. I don't know exactly who he replaces in that finishing five uh, at the moment. Um, my guess would be it would be you know that each one more Darius Miller, whichever you know spot that would be. Uh, but it's it's an interesting proposition to see how long it would take him to get really into basketball game shape. I think he will, he is a helpful piece because he can he does not have to shoot in order to be productive. Uh, he can just get out there play defense and understands his role well enough and understands the team dynamic well enough that he's not going to take away from anything. Uh, and that's a nice thing to have for the Pelican's sake, which is uh, a guy of that attitude and a guy of that intelligence who kind of understands that sort of thing where you could bring back a guy who's been out for four months who really wants to show what he's capable of. And then all of a sudden you've thrown a wrench into a really good chemistry situation. Solomon Hill really isn't that guy, but I, I don't think he's ever going to play 30, 35 minutes or anything like that toward the end of the season. I think they can use him off the bench for sure. You know, you don't have to use Walter Lemon, things like that, uh, as you go on that bench lineup. And, and I think he can be productive uh, in spots, but not really overall. Okay. Uh, there's always room for criticism, uh, even when a team has won eight in a row. Uh, if there's one thing that they need to do better or that would serve them well moving forward, what would you lay on the table here? I just I don't think that bench lineup is capable of carrying them on most nights. Um, I think they've done well with it. I think they've played well at times, uh, but you saw that stretch in the beginning of the fourth quarter against the Mavericks. Uh, and you just look at the floor and you go, where are the points coming from? And not even so much the points, but where who's defending, who's rebounding, and they've managed to kind of piece it together with you know duct tape and bubble gum. Uh, but I, I just see a dearth of, of seasoned talent there. You know, you look, it's basically like four minimum contracts and, uh, and Nico out there. And not to say that it's, it's the guys are, are that's what they're worth, uh, but that's what they're being paid. And it does show that this is a, a group that has kind of had to come together and make things happen without a ton of talent on their hands. Scott, I'm too close to the team, um, kind of embedded with them. To, to answer this question, so maybe I'll look to you. Let's say this team comes home winners of 10 straight, which they'd have to do well against a, a Clipper team that's on the rise and then be wary of the end of the road trip back-to-back situation in Sacramento. But let's just say they come home with 10 in a row to play on Friday night. Can you help me understand the pulse of the fan base or even the mood in the city about this team as opposed to what it was ago a short time prior yeah i think you'll be right back uh to where they were uh, right when demarcus went down uh which was that that rockets game if you remember that game uh which you probably do uh where there was some real buzz uh the couple nights before there was some real buzz in the building and it really built to like a playoff level crescendo kind of as the game went down toward the stretch I think that's about where you'll be. I don't think it will be at that fever pitch of, 
you know, a, a really big playoff game or anything like that, or even, you know, the fever pitch of playing, you know, a Golden State. Uh, but it will be a full building as far as tickets will be sold. It will be, you know, not every single seat, but it'll be full. And I think it's the opportunity uh, to kind of kick into this final stretch, grab the attention away maybe a little bit from the NFL draft, grab it away from college baseball, things that they have struggled with at this time of year, the last few years, where the Pelicans have sort of disappeared because they've been out of contention. Uh, and now they're putting themselves really front and center. And, uh, and it's a battle this team has fought for as long as it's existed here, which is to kind of, you know, grab that spring calendar and make, you know, New Orleans pay attention to them in March and April. And this is the opportunity to do it. And they're doing everything they're supposed to do right now. Uh, those guys are not, not only playing well and winning games, but they're having fun doing it. They've been uh, gracious about it. They've been uh, entertaining. And uh, I don't know what more people could possibly be looking for at this point. Uh, and that's, you know, just I try to be as unbiased as possible. It has been fun to watch just as a casual observer uh, and not even so much a, you know, a fan. Uh, it is I don't know what more people could be looking for. I think a Friday night game against Washington uh, on a 10-game win streak and pushing for a home court advantage, there will be a full building. It won't be the NBA Finals, but it will be a full building. It will be a fun environment. I think the team will enjoy that very much, uh, and rightfully so with the way that they've played here uh, most recently. Scott, keep up the good work. We always follow you there at The Advocate, and I know that we'll uh, we'll be reading more from you this week. You've been churning stuff out daily, so keep it up, and we appreciate it. Absolutely, Sean. We'll be listening to you. There he goes. That's Scott Kushner, the advocate covering the Pelicans. We've got lots of Pelicans talk still to come this week, obviously through the road trip, which is, again, to repeat, uh, at Los Angeles, the Clippers tomorrow night, and then Wednesday versus Sacramento. We're scheduled to have a one-on-one interview with the Mecca Okafor. We'll be sharing that with you hopefully on Wednesday's Black and Blue Report. We'll also hear from David Wesley. on Wednesday's show as well. So, and we'll look forward again to the next phase of the Saints offseason too. Our thanks to Michael Motti. Congratulations again to Michael. And we'll look forward to getting his report from his big weekend coming up. That'll do it for us here from Los Angeles on this Monday. We hope you enjoyed it. We uh, obviously thank you for making us a part of your day today. And we'll uh, hopefully be talking about a ninth straight win when we uh, reconvene here on this podcast, as you mentioned, on Wednesday. For Scott Kushner and Michael Maudy and for Daniel Salerson back in Studio B, I'm Sean Kelly. We'll see you next time right here on the Black and Blue Report.